think it's gonna here we go live streaming what's up and we're live it is yeah. 10 30 a.m on the west coast 1 30 p.m on the east coast 3 30 a.m australian eastern standard time that's something utc shout so, out to the know. dude that's listening <laughs> <laughs> hey dude it's value after hours i'm tobias carlisle joined as always by jake taylor and bill brister what is happening fellas anything interesting in the markets I have no idea. I've been moving. <laughs> Did we but I listened, by? I listened to a good, uh, I don't know if you guys listened to William Green and uh, Jim Grant. That was a nice conversation. Hmm. I'm, about a, I'm about a quarter away into that one so far. It's quite long. Yeah. It's like Whoever thought long form who's, audio is a good idea. Who is these idiots doing long form? <laughs> Speaking but I of liked good, it. It was quite good. Speaking of good uh, and long form, I enjoyed Scott Reardon on the Business Brew. Scott's cool. Yes, yeah, that was fun. He, uh, you know, he knows some pretty cool guys too, and he lived with one, which is wild. I don't know who that guy is. Who do you live some with? Value, some value investor. Yeah, we lived near somebody. Right? Near? Didn't, didn't, oh, didn't, I, we didn't live together. I had a wife. Oh. <laughs> I thought you guys were roommates. Children. No, no. Well, you know, in LA, I never know. You may have to, you know, you got a wife and kids and you still got to live together. It's it is true. Not cheap telling, out there. I was telling JT before we came on the median house price in Los Angeles, only 10% of Los Angelinos can afford the median house price. I don't know how that works. Yeah. It's going higher. <laughs> yeah. Or, like, or lower. One of those. Oh, that's I'm true. Gonna, I'm going to give some shout outs to all of the, Braunschweig, I think that's a place, the Caribbean, Netherlands, Nashville, Boston, Toronto, Santa Monica, what's up, Milton Keynes, Ottawa, Kathmandu, Port Dover, Townsville, Norway, Whoa. Oh Leeds, UK. I Whoa, still wow. don't know how many people have like 10 computers VPNing on this, but I appreciate the perception of a larger audience than we have. <laughs> yeah, the guy that's in Kansas, but is his VPN's putting him in Kathmandu. <laughs> Yeah, Ian Castle ended up hiring a couple people to to help him out, making it appear like we're bigger than we are. These are bots. Yeah, Lisbon, Mike, could you turn down your mic a little bit, please? I think he means Bill. Maybe I don't know. Me? I don't know. They all, it sounds alright to me, but I can't tell. Yeah, I don't know. How's this? <laughs> <laughs> what what's on tap for today, boys? What do we got? So I got a man Institute paper, uh, kind of interesting. They looked at the last four recessions or the last four crashes rather, and then looked at what the earnings did and what the multiple did. And then they've just said, what happens if you apply that range to this? Yikes. Where, where do we end up? I'm going to guess it's lower, not, not bullish. Well, there's a range. There's a, they've got a bull, benign, average and bear. And so we're just going to go through those. Ooh, I like that's the new bull benign. Yeah. Benign. Why not? You got to call average base, right? Bull benign base bear. Four Bs. So base would be that. Yeah. Then you would imply that we're going lower if that's your base, right? Just for the alliteration. I think he was, yeah, that's, yeah. What, that's what JT yeah. was saying. Yeah. Yeah, they did. They missed that. Missed that opportunity. Should have yeah. consulted with you. Yeah. Better marketing. Just the base. Um, I uh, I've, been, I've been thinking a little bit about like runways and uh, how things can appear quick. Like can you know like actually trying to think through Tam. I don't have any good thoughts, but it's what I'm thinking about. All right. What you got, JT? I've got uh, a little segment on maintenance and three different stories about this this different sailors who uh, competed in this sailing around the world competition uh, that is, is telling about, you know, how to, the approach to maintenance and, and what that can mean for your investment process. So I think I'm actually pretty excited about this and I think it's going to be pretty good. Interesting. And I'm not usually excited about these. So, <laughs> Do we have any animals in this particular one? One animal. A sperm whale? <laughs> no, but okay. Uh, it does end up killed, so that, give that's, the people that's, like. that's a shame. So the the animal or the SPCA is not going to or Greenpeace, they're not going to appreciate this one. I mean, do you want to start out with this if you're very excited or no? 
Yeah, we can. Feels like we could probably riff off this one. Let's go. Let's do it. All right. So getting into it. This uh, shout out to one of the 10, uh, Justin Giancola, who sent me this article. uh, And it's this write up by Stuart Brand. I don't know if you guys have seen him before, uh, but he uh, has, he writes for, several things but one of them is like the uh the long now foundation which is just trying to basically get humans to think in longer intervals than than what we currently seem to do um but this story is about uh the 1968 golden globe race which was uh basically a solo sailboat race and around the world basically from london and then you sail south out down along africa you hang a left and you sail under australia under New Zealand, along the Pacific, and then around the Cape of Horn in South America, back up the East Coast of South America, and then you finish back in England. And it's 30,000 total miles, and most of it is along the latitude of the Roaring Forties in the Southern Hemisphere, which is is pretty damn rough seas. Um, hmm. So, this uh, there was a prize. The, the key thing is that how once, big are these boats? Sorry, uh, like 32 to 40 footers. Whoa, that's not very large. Um, no, not not like crazy big, but I mean, you're a solo sail, you know, sailor. Yeah. So, um, no physical <laughs> assistance, no fuel, no food, no water, no equipment taken on board after the start of the race. No. So you you are isolated, like you no going into port. There's nothing. So you got to just sail. So, uh, and at the time it was a five thousand pound prize, which is about a hundred thousand dollars today. How, how long ago? Nineteen sixty-eight. Okay. Okay. So you have to I would remember- die. Zero oh. probability Brewster lasts more than three days. <laughs> yeah, no, this is these are for legit sailors. Um, but one thing to remember on most of this route is you know, there's very few ships who are traveling on these this route. There's back then there's no GPS, there's no electronic autopilots, there's no radar on smaller boats like that. You are sailing like old school with sextant and uh, you know trying to basically navigate. how do they prove that they actually went the went uh, the, the route okay okay sorry Don't great have... great question we will we'll get to some of that so the first uh, there and so there were nine total people who attempted this nine boats uh and three of them became these famous stories in their own right so we're going to jump into these three so the first one was this guy named robin knox johnston uh at the time he was 29 years old a fairly experienced sailor but he was he was pretty underfunded for this project, uh, and he had this wooden thirty-two foot boat. And his guiding principle to maintenance and and to doing this was make do and mend. So he packed his boat with all kinds of materials, tools, everything he could imagine that he would need for this ten-month trip. And so one month in, he's down like off the coast of South or of Africa. He discovers that he's got a serious leak in his boat, and he there are these like two long gaps in the planking on each side of the keel. So he dresses in a dark shirt and puts jeans on. And the reason he does this is to hide his white body from potential sharks seeing him in the water. Uh, And he dives under it and he, you know, examines it and he figures out like, okay, he, he gets these like canvas strips basically. And he's under there with a hammer and a snorkel, you know, tacking this underneath his ship. And he has to keep coming back up for air after every tack because you can only like basically have the inner, you know, the oxygen to takes him multiple hours to do it. Uh, while he's in the process of doing that, a shark starts circling around the boat. He gets on board, he gets his rifle, he shoots the shark, uh, and then he gets back to work, uh, you know, nailing these things under. So again, Brewster is to your survival percentage. That shit is gangster. Did he pull the shark into the boat? Do we know? No, no, he shot it and then it like he saw it drift down off into the, you know. Into okay, the yeah, it went away. So he's then, not like going back in with bloody shark stuff around him, right? Like the shark is gone now. He was worried that the blood might attract more sharks. Uh-huh, more sharks, yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so, I'm following. So, I mean, this guy's this a nut. Yeah, this guy's he's pretty, he's pretty hardened. Um, so one another thing is that like the hatch covers that he had were poorly fitted and so they were just constantly leaking so water would come in and like be just dripping on his bed like he's never dry i mean it just sounds like absolute misery um and you know like the boat was constantly breaking due to rough weather i mean you're in just some really tough seas so uh he wrote that you know necessity is the mother of invention and i'm always quite happy to leave things until i have to cope with them and then throw myself happily into the problem. So basically he 
neglected things until they needed to be fixed. That was sort of his solution. Uh, at one point, he had no working engine, no radio, and it, this self-steering rig that they had broke off and sank. Uh, it, it, he, fi- he figured out that he could arrange his four sails in a way that would allow him to sort of keep course with the wind for while he was sleeping. Um, so at one point, I mean, and this is how bananas it was, he, he's, he says, you're looking at the stern and you see an 80-foot wave breaking at the top, stretching from horizon to horizon. Don't tell me you're not a little bit scared. As the wave was breaking, I knew it was going to sweep the boat, and I realized I could not get down below where I was safe. So I just climbed the rigging, and the wave covered the boat. It was me and two masts and nothing else in sight for about 1,500 miles in any direction. Then she popped up. The hatch had been knocked open, so I spent the next three hours pumping out three tons of water. So, so literally, like this, like the boat gets covered with water, and he climbs up to the top of it, the mast basically, to stay up out of the water, this giant 80-foot wave. <laughs> I mean, I mean, these these guys are insane, right? Uh, yeah. All right, so that's that's our sailor number one. Sailor number two, this di- this guy named Donald Crowhurst, and he was he, his specialty was actually electronics, and he was a brilliant innovator, but he was pretty hopeless when it came to business because he was just infected with this over optimism. Uh, he fell behind in his planning process, getting ready for it, and he ends up setting sail at the last permitted moment to enter the race. And like, so his boat basically wasn't ready and he accidentally left behind all kinds of materials that he needed to repair the boat. So, but what he did bring was abundance of electrical parts and tools and, and that, because that was his passion, right? So you'll start to see that like, this guy is sort of like a man with a hammer. Um, around it, like not too far into it, he realized that he wouldn't be able to finish the race because stuff was breaking and he was, he didn't have the materials. Uh, and so he realized also that maybe he wouldn't have to finish the race. So he got, uh, you know, he, his, at one point, like, uh, you know, the water had rushed in and like destroyed his generator and his, uh, his, like, you know, his radio was down uh, and his bilge pumps didn't even work because they were missing the piping that was specialized that he needed that he never installed. So <laughs> he was bailing out with a, with a bucket, uh, but he gets his generator working again. And because he's such an electronics wizard, he, is able to actually spoof where the radio transmissions are coming from so that he's reporting that he's further along in the race than where he actually is. And like, so he can Mm. plot out like sort of where he would have been, where that radio was going to be. Uh, Meanwhile, he's just basically dawdling in the Southern part of the Atlantic ocean, uh, but he's not actually going anywhere. Um, At one point he discovers a real serious leak in his boat and he snuck ashore into Argentina, lied about who he was, got it repaired and then went back out there meanwhile he's sending out all these cheery reports about how he's just like cruising and crushing it and like it's it's all working right um so so and another thing like to stay motivated he whenever he completed something that he thought was unpleasant he'd reward himself with a drink and so you know he's like basically drunk half the time uh he got as far south as the falkland islands and then he started heading back toward england and the finish line uh and you know he spent basically all of his time working on these radios like a man with a hammer at the exclusion of everything else in his boat. And after basically these seven months of lying that he was doing, he started to go crazy and the pressure of being found out and the, you know, potentially disgraced and failing his wife and four young children, it became too much. And his last logbook entry is really chilling. It says it is finished. It is the mercy and he jumped into the ocean, was never seen again. And he left behind ah. he left behind the boat and the documents that he knew would reveal the truth of what had happened. And nine days later, a passing boat uh, found his ship, uh, or a passing ship found his boat. And he, he had invested so much of himself in this illusion that when it shattered, basically like he shattered mentally. Um, huh. So a little bit of a cautionary That's tale. That's a bizarre downfall. Yeah, isn't it weird? Um, yeah. Now, our, our you'd thir- think you could just come clean. Well, I mean, imagine the disgrace, though, and just like the feeling of letting everyone down. I mean, that just is it worth dying over, though? Uh, I don't know. I mean, the psychology of being alone like that for that long is also. Yeah, that'll weird. drive you nuts. That'll drive you nuts. So our third sailor is this guy named Bernard Moutissier. I think it's a French name. Uh, he was 46 year old and the most experienced of the sailors that were competing. And his strategy was he was to just deal- happy to be away from his kids. 
<laughs> He's like, shit, this is a vacation. Ten, uh, ten months. <laughs> you're good. actually you're actually not that far off, uh, as you'll find out. Uh, his strategy was to deal with most of his maintenance issues in advance. He knew that once he was at sea, the need for maintenance had to be minimal. And he, and, and he doing he had to everything had to be easy to work on. So his boat was built out of heavyweight steel with watertight bulkheads. And he, he said that it was a boat that you could clean with a broom and a dustpan instead of a bilge pump. Uh, and all the, the critical maintenance issue with steel is corrosion. And so his answer to that was just paint, paint and more paint seven coats of the best paint um, before he left. So, and he focused on simplicity, knowing that what's complicated will eventually lead to problems, right? So he hated electronics on boats. Instead of the uh, 300 pounds of this noisy radio equipment, he used a slingshot and he would launch like film canisters containing messages to passing ships. And that was how he was <laughs> communicating, right? Uh, so before leaving, he purged the boat of its engine, the dinghy, four anchors, 900 pounds of chain, all kinds of stuff that wasn't a necessity. And even later at sea, he threw 400 pounds of food and kerosene and rope overboard after realizing like he wasn't going to need it for the trip. Kind of messed up to pollute, but okay. Yeah. Well, you know, the ocean's big. You can, you can, I get it. In there. Um, he actually, like it. he left two months after the, uh, the first competitor Knox Johnston, but he was sailing so much faster because he had a lighter ship that he was, he was closing ground on him, catching up. Um, and he kept his boat in tip top shape. He, he said, my rule is a new boat every day. So you don't let things fester. Um, and if something was starting to fail, you fix it now before it fails at the worst moment, like in a storm. So he was having such a good time on his peaceful trip toward, and really like kind of towards self-actualization, like you sort of realize that he didn't really want it to end. And so <laughs> he actually started to dread the fanfare uh, that would, would happen if he, if he won this race. And he liked the space, the pure air, the stars, the clouds, and the freedom of his little boat. Uh, and, he, you know, he was really on pace to win this race very handily. And the French were already planning a regalia to accompany him into the finish line and all this national glory. Uh, and yet, so he's, at the, he's off the coast of South Africa, and he slingshots a message to a passing tanker. And it says, my intention is to continue the voyage still nonstop toward the Pacific Islands, where there's plenty of sun and more peace than in Europe. I'm continuing nonstop because I'm happy at sea and perhaps because I want to save my soul. So Knox Johnston, the, the first guy, is the one who wins the race and the prize money. And then he actually gifts the prize money to Donald Crowhurst, the second guy's bereaved wife and young children. Uh, hmm. And there were no other competitors who finished the race. Hmm. And Moitessier ended up sailing back down again under south, uh, south of Australia under New Zealand, and he finally arrives in Tahiti and finishes his trip, 303 days, total of 37,000 miles at sea. And so the, the three different maintenance styles of these three sailors led directly to their different outcomes. And so Knox Johnson's style was whatever comes, deal with it, and he did. Crowhurst was hope for the best, and it killed him. And then Moitessier's was prepare for the worst, and it freed him. Uh, and that, though, that, that last little part was a passage that, uh, brand had written, which I thought was kind of poetic and nice wow. so just copying it from him. So, uh, kind of fun stories, right? These three guys yeah. doing very different outcomes based on their maintenance What's the schedules. Book called? It's not a book. It was just an article. What's it called? Uh, I don't know, like on maintenance or something like that. That's amazing. Yeah. A great story. Fun stuff. I like the guy then sending the money to the bereaved person's spouse or the the yeah you Classy know move huh yeah that guy's a man yeah i'm well, gonna kill this shark and then uh sail swim in the water nail some stuff to the bottom of my boat and then when i get paid i'm sending it to a widow he would there was this other story i left out that talking about him like when it was in like calm uh winds he would hop out and like swim next to the boat and then like grab a rope and pull himself back up of course he would <laughs> Can you imagine you're out in the middle of nowhere on the ocean? Are you, would you even imagine getting out of the boat while it's moving like that? Guy climbs to the top of a boat to avoid <sighs> a, a wave. Like, get out of here. That dude is a monster. Yeah, these are these are a different uh, jib of, of man. Than, yeah, <laughs> than what a beast. <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, ah, oh, my callus. <laughs> I got a sunburn. That's right. It's no joke. Terrifying. Yeah. 
Well, how do we segue from that? I I don't know. I'm just thinking about this. <laughs> yeah, just know. just run with something, Toby. We'll just transition. I mean, you know, I guess uh, I I guess I'm a I'm gonna flip a little bit here. Part of part of what you said about like being prepared, um, you know, who knows what the hell happens from here. Uh, and the time to sort of get uh, prepared was 2021 when everyone was doing cocaine every day in the market. But, yes. um, you know, now that some of us have had withdrawals and uh, maybe there's a maybe this is a decent time to rethink that now that we've had a calm bounce. Uh, and I don't know, like I've just been looking at, um, you know, like I I don't know what I'm doing when it comes to bonds, to be perfectly clear. <laughs> but. Uh, I think there's like a pretty high chance that you get paid back on trans dimes debt. Uh, and you know, it yields five and a half percent. Uh, I think that there's a, a very high probability you get paid back on Netflix's debt that yields north of five. Uh, it looks like it's like five, six ish. And, um, you know, you got to take a little duration like Netflix, you got to go out to 2025 and trans dime you're out to 2027. And I understand that you can, you know, maybe you're eroded in purchasing power to inflation, but the alternative is getting pushed out on the risk curve right now. Is that and um, maturity five? Yeah, well, five, six. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, look, I think as a, as a quasi cash replacement, I don't think you have a ton of downside. And every year that goes by, you have less downside. Um and uh, there's a world where equities sell off enough that even if you lose a little bit to inflation, you have more relative purchasing power. Um, and, you know, maybe there's some opportunities out there to get a little more yield than has been offered in the past uh, that can give you a little bit of a call option should the world go to shit. Yeah, I think just to go back to some of the ship and analogies there that are boating that it's it's not necessary but it's it's possible that we this little bounce that we've been in is a bit of a eye of the hurricane and you know that you might expect that there's some more storm after this and if that is true then boy shouldn't you probably be planning on you know fixing whatever mental leaks are in your ship right now before that starts have a game plan uh you know having a new ship every day is a is pretty good advice uh, and do it while it's a little bit sunny out right now before you know it really maybe you get the second half of something uh that that is not as much fun to work on your boat in the middle of that storm right yeah and there's you know there's uh there's some probability that um you know that that some of the run-up and some of the stocks that sold off recently uh, was justified. And maybe this is the chance to rebalance into some things that could make your portfolio actually a little more diversified. I know that that is like, uh, you know, not something that is very sexy. And uh, we all want to run one stock portfolios that outperform <laughs> like the goat would have when he was yeah. young. But um, go hard in the paint. That's right. You know, I just kind of I look at. Um, I look at what Buffett has done with his life toward like once he, I think, hit escape velocity. And uh, I think I am approximately one one thousandth as smart as him. So if I can borrow some of his ideas and create kind of a robust set of assets around me, um, you know, I'm not sure how good my best idea is. So diversification might actually be a good thing for me. How do you interpret a new boat every day in a stock portfolio? I don't I don't know. I mean, look, if I was a hedge fund manager, I'd be like, you buy your portfolio every day, right? I, I yeah, don't know that I actually that. buy that. Um, but that's just because I'm not smart enough to play the game that others do. Yeah, maybe not every day, but I mean, you do have to kind of re-underwrite regularly, right? Yeah, quarterly, right? Maybe. I mean, there's things that More happen often. outside of the quarter, but yeah, I mean, typically you get the most shot of new information on a quarterly basis. Yeah. And I think, um, I think too, like, you know, if, uh, like, like cable is one that I've been thinking about, um, and the, the, how, what a real risk fixed wireless is and what can actually happen. And I think if you're not, if you're not aware 
of the biases that you bring to the reanalysis. And you're not trying to figure out what the other side of the argument is. And you're just like blindly like, no, I'm right. I think that's a great way to get waxed. Um, you know, I still don't, I, I, I've held cable through the drawdown. I, Altice was a definitive mistake on my part. Um, but the charter holding that I have, um, like I'm still pretty comfortable with it, but you know, I don't, I guess somebody said, how, how can you own cable and not have seen this coming? And I guess that the answer to that is like, well, I don't know, just because the stocks are down and the headlines of competitive risk have increased. I mean, were we really underwriting a world where there was going to be zero competitive risk? And I would argue when, you know, stock prices were quite a bit higher, um, like, yeah, that was probably an implication. My dumbass sold out a charter and got into Altice because of the multiple, and that didn't work out so hot. Um, Sounds a little and, bit like resulting, though. Well, I mean, a little. I think, um, I think that holding on to an asset that is performing uh, and has solid operating metrics and tangible results is probably a more sound strategy than trying to chase yield by going down to a crappier asset. Um, I think like what I did was kind of the definition of getting pu pushed out on the risk spectrum and then risk happened. Burning. So I think I kind of deserved it. Um, so I don't know. I, I guess it's, it's a long kind of convoluted answer to your question, but I just think, uh, you know, you gotta, gotta re-underwrite what you own and, and try not to let the lens that you currently see the world through preclude you from seeing the world as it is. I read a, a nice little turn of phrase uh, from Chris Pavisi, who's uh, the, he's the chief guy over at uh, Broyhill and a, a guy I like a lot, actually. Uh, he, he had a little thing in his latest letter about uh, like if, if it's a kind of a regime shift now, which some people are, are speculating uh, that it's now going to be profits over promises, which I, I like that as a little turn of phrase. Uh, if Buffett says you would have done better never selling, why is that not an option? Because when did he ever say he would have done better never selling? Uh, I think he said that particularly in relation to something like uh, American Express. And I think probably in a few other, he's mentioned it in, in a few things that he's rebought later at a higher price. Yeah. Disney, no, I don't I think know. at one point he talked about, but those were like, he bought it in 1952 and then bought it again in 19, you know, yeah, 85 or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, never sell. I, I don't, I, I don't trust. Well, the, the never sell thing, the thing about it is you got to do it on an asset that can, I, th I think you have to do it on an asset that has a lot of tangential growth and that growth has to be explosive. Otherwise, it's very, very difficult to make the math work. So that's a good, you were talking about runways before as kind of one of your topics, which I, th I think is interesting in this context of, I think it's in incredibly difficult to find the businesses that have that kind of like generation long runway of ability to deploy capital that's going to keep producing high returns. Like, I think it's under understated or underappreciated how hard that really is. Yeah. The the asset that I'm thinking about to not speak in code is Spotify. And I've 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 continued to try to figure out why I can't get there with the math on it. And you know, I guess like at the at the end of the day, the, I I did an expert interview and like the guy used to negotiate with the labels uh and he is not bullish on their ability to improve their economics through music. Now people can say, well, marketplace is going to do it and they can raise price, whatever. Fine. I think a, a reasonable amount of the bet has to do with what they can do monetizing the podcasts. Well, you know, I think the hang up that I have is that you see the citation of like gross margin expansion, right? Or gross profit expansion. First of all, it's off of a low base. So you would hope that you could expand off of a low base if you're Enterprise value is twenty billion, and you're not really generating like true free cash without some dilution, <laughs> right? And then two is like, you know, we I see podcast networks that are bringing their advertising in house, right? I see uh, 
hosts doing their own host red stuff. So how big is the real opportunity versus like you're right now you're capturing like a very, you know, so it's low base and the growth should look good. The path to, you know, I don't know, even a couple hundred million dollars, maybe something, but in order to, to believe that the, the free cash flow is going to drop, like, you know, that there is constant need for reinvestment in R&D. There is constant sales and marketing. Part of that business is basically a podcast network, right? Like they bought the ringer, they, they pay for the what, whatever to produce it. They pay Rogan, they pay, you know, like it's kind of a studio. And I just, at the end of the day, like I can't get myself there on Tam and how long the runway is. And um, Does talent end up extracting all the economic surplus from the platform. Well, I mean, you know, if you were to dynamically insert ads into your Spotify uh, podcast value after hours in a hypothetical situation, <laughs> right? I think we'd get like we're, we're pre pre revenue here, fifteen dollars per CPM, right? So they pay a hundred million dollars. So you need six million six hundred sixty-seven thousand ad impressions. We're close to that. I mean, that's I. Oh well, that's. I think you need that many thousand ad impressions. Actually, like, man, you got you need a lot of people listening. That's the that's the only answer. Uh, I you know I'm just doing this off the top of my head on the mic, so I'm probably wrong. But like, when I start to think about the numbers of people that need to to listen and then you discount it to today's value the math just gets hard on a lot of these things for me thanks for the shout out uh thanks for the the whatever those things are those to the tip 20 pounds from modern distressed investing thanks very much Whoa. bang thank you i should Hit say us up if, if you're ever at berkshire we'll buy you a beer with that 20 pounds we, yeah we will <laughs> we recycle all the money back into jacob at phil's coffee also sent me some coffee so thanks for the uh, and some swag so thanks very much for that too phil's coffee. Yeah, does it say filtered coffee with the ph no, it does so... filtered soul yeah that's funny there we go that's i like it oh, there you go cheers jacob thank you uh <laughs> i um i don't use spotify i use uh, youtube music and then i get the youtube ad free so i i i, I you don't think competition's an issue for spotify well, I think that's I think that's what they I think that's why they're investing so much in the exclusive content, right? They're trying to hope that people like Rogan enough that they won't move from Spotify. I did think the expert when I was talking to him, the the one thing that uh he said that I thought was funny is like, allow me to introduce you to my big concept of the future. And I was like really expecting something big. And he's like, bundling. I was like, yeah, I get the idea of a bundle, dude. And then he went on about how good he thinks YouTube is. Bundle and unbundle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the issue. But, you know, it doesn't uh, it doesn't just have to be that asset. It's a lot of these assets. And I, I think one of the things that's tough for me and I'm trying to open my mind to it, but is the other thing is you only have really, it appears to me, one way out. Uh, because it's easy to be like, well, it could get taken out. But if you're relying on your takeout value, the probability that the execution was there is probably pretty low. So you really only have one path. Yeah. Who's the takes out Spotify? Like Apple? Yeah. And at what valuation and why, right? Like if Spotify needs to be taken out, there's a good chance that business can't exist. They're not so much, they haven't been big splashy acquirers either right they're not gonna yeah, they've done stuff like anchoring Gimlet beats, and stuff like beats that. headphones yeah, that's a billion dollars that's nothing well beats yeah. was uh that was apple yeah i don't know yeah i don't know um, i think disney and spotify makes some sense but i don't know how much like how many synergies do you get from letting people stream frozen and getting a kickback from that from me you get a lot because frozen's a hot soundtrack but i don't know how many 40 year old men are sing and let it go to themselves not 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 voluntarily anyway yeah i know you did i'm certain you did at one point in your life i know that's been stuck in your head i i have a i have a now nine-year-old daughter so yeah i i have i have heard it a few times it's hard that's it's right. an earworm <laughs> even if you don't want it in there it's hard to get it out uh should we do the uh should we do my yeah man uh so this is a market level analysis from man group man institute i think is like their research arm or something like that um 
they looked at the last four crashes. So COVIDGFC.com. A lot of us remember those. 1990, 1991. Don't remember that one. Um, and then they say that, this, so this is the earnings just um, going backwards in time. So earnings evidently fell over 21% in COVID, 39% in the GFC, 13% in .com and 7% in 1990, 91. And the multiple compressed in COVID, two points. GFC was five points. .com was 10 points. And uh, 1991 was two points. And so they characterized the .com uh, crash as a valuation crash rather than a fundamental crash. And GFC and COVID were both fundamental crashes. Mm. Um, so then they, they, they take that and they apply it to our mm. current scenario. And they say, if June 16 was the bottom, then you would characterize this one as a valuation crash, which would make it like the, the, uh, the .com crash. Uh, there was only a three-point multiple. Oh, sorry, sorry, that's not right. There was a six-point multiple contraction. There was a three-point multiple expansion since the trough. And if EPS follows the historical um, attachment to the ISM, which it seems to, that'll be a twenty-one percent earnings um, drop-off, which they they mean, they say means that earnings for the S and P five hundred will be one hundred and ninety by June next year. And I think we're at like 210 now, down from like 230 maybe at the peak. That's, and so then they've got these these that four makes scenarios. It pretty expensive, right? Well, if these are right. the four scenarios. <laughs> okay. Uh, bull benign, and as JT points out, should have been should have been base and bear. So the bull is let's say you get 190 on 23 times, which was the cycle peak for the one that we've just gone through. And that means uh, the market is up 6% by June 2023. And this, this article is a week or so old, so it might be it might be less or more than that, but it's roughly, it's about 6% by June and next year. Treasuries are back at zero in that scenario. <laughs> well, they, I'll give you the, they, they actually do have some, um, they add a little bit of color to the, to what actually consists of what, what, what happens for the bull case for that to happen. So they say inflation moderates faster than expected. The central bank pivots, return of secular stagnation, the Ukrainian situation calms, and the multiple returns to the cycle high 23, which was last seen 20 August. Okay. The benign scenario. Wait, what was the what was the upside on that? Six percent. Six percent is what we're the kind of best we can hope for, is kind of what they're saying. Yes. Okay, keep going. <laughs> That's the bull case. <laughs> the benign case is you get to 21 times. On the PE, still pretty lofty. Okay, which is where it was at the end of 2021, and um, that'll be down three percent from here. Okay, and in that scenario, inflation moderates, central bank pivots, Ukraine stabilizes to get to that. So this is the average. Um, that's 19 times. That's down 14 percent from here, and this is this is what happens. Re recession concern persists. And the playbook of prior recessions plays out. Average of multiple troughs four months prior to the forward earnings trough, therefore assumed trough multiple this time around is February 2023, so coming. Historical average multiple compression of five points to June trough, we were at minus six points, therefore assume we revert back to June level, which is 16 times by February 2023. On average, the multiple rises three points in the six months following the trough. Therefore, assume the February to June 2023, it rises from 16 to 19. And this is the bear. You ready? Yeah, lay it on me. <laughs> the bear is a 12 times multiple. Okay. Uh, and that's the dot-com low. And that's down 45% from here. <laughs> and in that scenario, inflation is stubborn. Recession is fully priced in. Multiple follows worst case scenario, dot-com bust compression of 10 points. Multiple drops to 12. So that's pretty cheery. And Buffett is shoveling money out the door like a <laughs> madman. I don't know. I, I, I just, I'm kind of interested whether that's, I mean, that, but it just seems to me like the risk reward is skewed the wrong way in and the market in any case. It does not seem like this, the asymmetry you're looking for, is it? No. I mean, the the benign case seems, even the benign case seems pretty optimistic to me. The average is probably right, which is down about 14% from here. Bye, bonds. <laughs>
Do you think bonds survive? I mean, what do they do in that? They've got to, they've got to pivot in that instance. Well, if you minimize, you know, if you minimize your duration, they're not going to move that much, right? I mean, it's the they're a contractual obligation to pay. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I mean, if if uh, you might have a drawdown, and I wouldn't go out to like twenty forty, but you know, if you keep it in twenty twenty seven and and earlier, like I bet. I mean, five years you could have drugs. Is that your attraction to bonds that you think that the equities uh I just use it. Wrong? I'm just trying to get better management out of my cash. That's and, your base. Okay. And I and I haven't been like I have not been eager to buy and and add additional exposure through this sell-off because I don't think this is I, I think this is a really confusing time. Uh, so I'm just trying to get better yield than what I think will pay me back for my cash and, uh, not do anything stupid. Don't be a hero. Yeah. Which, you know, might be stupid. Might be smart. There's That's a right. great book called the long way, which is on your, uh, on your story, JT. Oh yeah. Documentary about the sailing race, uh, British BBC. Yeah, the long way. Also, the book. Ooh, sounds good. Yeah, I find this. I find this market a little bit. I don't. I don't see anything that's screamingly cheap or screamingly good at the moment. It's kind of we're in no man's land. I think <clears throat> it does feel a little bit like finding a a new a new narrative. Perhaps we're more in between narratives. The boring twenties. I mean, I I bet there's cheap <laughs> stuff in Europe. Well, you 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 had a good shot. This was that this morning that showed the uh, the 15 year underperformance of is that is that was that emerging or is that just non US? Yeah, I think it was just international non US that was showed 15 years of underperformance against the US. That's a long time. America. That is Woo! a long time. That is a long time. <laughs> What about that? What about the stats you were you, you had before about the number of the the rallies and the oh uh, and, the, and the troughs? Yeah, I mean just just as 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 fuel to the fire of the conversation about you know eye of the hurricane um, dot com crash where there were seven uh, rallies that were greater than seventeen percent all of and some of them forty to fifty percent all of them sold off to new lows. So yeah, 50% rally that sells off to a new low. That's, Ouch. that's going to ring out some excess. So all the, you know, I mean, I think there's still a fair amount of dip buying and non-capitulation looking behavior in my humble estimation, but. I just think there's so many people that are in finance that know what to do with capital that I just don't know that uh, I think that the ability to generate real return right now is going to be harder than ever. And I just don't know why capital is entitled to that ability. Mm. I, I, if you know, and it, <clears throat> I find it particularly interesting, you know, you listen to Munger and he's like, all you guys are sitting here and he doesn't say this exactly, but he basically says there's like way higher and better uses of your time. And you're like basically all wasting brain power doing what you're doing. Uh, I don't know what does why. He recommend find a find a young genius and give him all of your money, and then yeah, and do something better saying, with your be life than read. Fix the world. Yeah, and uh, I I think that uh, maybe there's a grain of truth in that, and you know, capital has had it good for a long time, and maybe capital has it really bad for a while. Like that's not, uh, but but I don't know that that means that multiples come down. So, so capital, like, I don't know the path of it all, but I could see real returns being pretty shitty for a while. There's a number of different paths that don't end up in, in real returns being pot, great, of, pot right? of gold. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. And they probably don't end up, you know, in long-term starvation for capital either. But uh, I, I think uh, reducing your expectations has been good advice since the 2017 and you know remain so with the exception of the melt up which was super fun and just get get long the stupidest stuff you can find 
Yeah. It should have been longer, dumber stuff. Yeah. Oh, well. Get NFTs long first order thinking. <laughs> NFTs must have been the bill. I haven't checked. A pretty good sign. How's your Google good search sign. on? on... <laughs> well, the, I mean, my... the, uh, the comps were starting to look a little bit. The comps gonna just going to swamp it in a moment. My dad really likes cars. Uh, he was just out in Monterey for that auction, and they oh, yeah. that biggest auction they've ever had. Really? So not exactly things you usually see at bottoms. Yeah, that's a that's a real inequality measurement there, huh? Number of attendees of the Monterey yeah. <laughs> rare car auction. Yeah. Yeah, the the mining sector, like uh, the the ones that the things that are most interesting, I think, are are the things that are the scariest. All the the mining stuff. I don't know how that all works out, but it is cheap. It's my screens are full of them. According to Jim Grant, uh, the gold miners are at the biggest disconnection that they have that they have been to physical gold in a very long time, if not ever. You can listen to hour two, I think, of the podcast with William Green to get that tidbit. That's funny because the you know that when we went into the last 2007, 2009, they were expensive, and they all got they all got hammered. Didn't do as well as gold, so it's possible that everybody's got that in the back of their mind and they're yeah. avoiding it. Whereas valuation is probably the the, the couple guide. that I follow too. Goddamn, the expenses side of the ledger is growing faster than the revenue side i was just gonna say energy is not great to mining like if energy goes up quickly that's not fantastic for miners in short term no labor cost energy equipment i mean yeah it's all just not ideal no not not the uh operational leverage that you were looking for yeah it's almost as if ebitda is a useless metric in that industry Wash your mouth out. Yeah. <laughs> they pay a lot of taxes too to all these, you know, whatever overlords that they report to. Yeah. They've got them. Can't move that mine. Yeah. You can't. Stuck. I mean, you're physically stuck and you're probably like causing externality, right? Like whatever leech waste and stuff. So it kind of makes sense, but. It's still like, all right, where are these margins at, guys? Evercore, Evercore is, uh, it looks like they're calling for uh, consensus 3Q to be raised. They say, given the economic strength so far in 3Q, it seems likely we end up at a 228 per share of earnings on the S&P versus 223 consensus. All the, I don't know. Every single analyst is like way over what, like they're all just projecting up though, right? Isn't that? Is that accurate? This is, you know, Ed Hyman is like good at what he does, according to people that know. I don't, I don't know. He always strikes me as a jovial guy. Outside of that, I don't know his track record. I don't either. Outside of my Ballywick, I, I look at zero of those kind of future projections of anything. I like reading them. I like the people that send them to me. Thank you, people. Keep sending them. <laughs> Do not send them to me. <laughs> Utilities are twenty-five times PE more than Google. Yeah, what's makes the, sense. What, what's the what's the argument there? Look, like I think it's the same with Coke. Like, if you have wealth, a utility is not a horrible place to preserve it. Yeah, like, you may not end up with some like, market-beating return, but you may not really give a shit. It's probably like, a, it's probably a bond proxy. Not everyone in the market is a 26-year-old looking to to create a career that is the (laughs) Hall of Fame career. Like there are people out there, believe it or not, that want cash flow and return of capital. Uh, Utilities can provide where you went wrong. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) like I mean, sometimes I feel like you know, uh, I don't know. We we worship uh, at the lens at the uh, edge of survivorship bias here. That's the same thing with Coke, right? Like people are like, how's Coke trading at higher than Google? Well, riddle me this. If Coke can raise its price with inflation and then the inflation is actually supply chain driven and then that gets cleared up and Coke's input costs actually are long-term deflationary, what do Coke's margins do? Like five years out, a 26 PE may only be a 16 PE and you own Coke. Yeah, That's not horrible. 
you may not get rich with it, but you're probably not going to lose wealth. True. Oh yeah. Thanks for the, th thanks for the reminder there. We, uh, Julian Robertson passed away. Did you see that just before we came on? No. I did. Vale Julian. How old was he? He's 90. Kind of 90. Okay. That's a good, yeah. that's a good run. He wasn't young, young in this business. Yeah. Just getting started. <laughs> just getting started. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's sad. Then again, at 90, your days are numbered. Yeah, I'm grandma's with... 93. I hope she passes away tomorrow. <laughs> As I say, because I love her. But I don't know if we should unpack that one. <laughs> well, you know, you just get, I think you get to a point where it's like slog at that age. Yeah, you've had a lot of good years on the earth, you know? So uh, I don't know. John Wayne Bobbitt died too in a car accident. Whoa. That sounds more tragic. Well, He's been cut short before. I did see <laughs> um I did see Chase Coleman uh is gonna keep keep the hedge fund structure and not a family office, which uh I respect that. Make it back. What does that mean? That means he's not folding up his tent. Yeah, that's right. You know, like Oh, know. it's a joke. Harman says it's a joke. Ah, John Wayne Bobbitt struggles on. Or not, I don't know. Oh, that's the guy that has that's fake news, off, right? Yeah, that's a that's yeah, really... that's how was she driving down the street with the penis in her hand? That was a weird story. And also, how shrink like how much does it shrink when you're holding it? It's got no blood. I got a lot of questions now that I'm thinking about this. <laughs> probably are better for there. a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Wait until we switch off the broadcast. Well, I don't know. I think it's uh, something to, you know, That's ponder after after hours. Yeah, well, it's a it's an it's an analysis of sorts. Yeah, scientific. Yeah. I see, Andrew Shapiro, you managed to make the you you, you made the uh, the live. I know it's after hours. It doesn't make any sense. We used to record it and then put it out after hours. But yeah, did uh, we talk about? uh a mailbag question about how how many years should you look back and through psychoanalysis did i bring this up last week or no, did that's we get a good cut one. off let's do it yeah so like, like john wayne somebody at my uh alma mater is being taught to uh do like i think he, i think they're doing models with like three years of backwards financials and then for yeah. forecasting for five uh and he was curious to have us riff on that a bit yeah, I mean, so I think there's definitely uh, probably like the Lindy effect is reasonable assumption here to to invoke. So the the longer that look back, the further that you can probably project off of that. Um, nothing, knowing nothing else about it. Um, so I would say I would probably not try to forecast further forward than I am looking backwards as a general huh. rule. I like that. It's like a, it's like a taking a beam off of a, or like a board off of a, the side of a building. Like you don't, you don't put it, you know, just the edge of it on the, on the building and then walk way out on the edge of it. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. It's better to have like just a little bit of it sticking out in your projection and a lot of it behind in the historical. Yeah. We tested I also it think in quantitative value and uh, found no advantage over. But you know that's a that's an aggregated. Hold up, hold uh, up. Finish your sentence. You didn't finish your sentence. You we found tested, no advantage I think we tested over it what? Eight years. Looking looking back through the CompuStat data to sixty three, taking an average of EBIT, P, you know, earnings, whatever we were looking at on on every different metric that we tested, which was about I think five or six or seven, something like that. There was no advantage consistently to adding more years. You get just as good a result in your estimation on the TTM as you do at the eight-year average. Really hmm. interesting. It sounds nuts, but the the problem is that when you get those, you get the you know some stocks get these funny years where they just get something that's yeah. it, you know it's like a factor more than they've ever earned, but it doesn't help you to average that over a few years. It still makes it stand out. So it's not. It's not. I don't know if that is that information is particularly helpful, and I I prefer not to use TTM figures as well. But that that's the case. There's no there's no advantage. It's not that it's there's no consistent advantage. You, there were some instances of five years being better. 
mm. eight years being better, but it wasn't consistent across the world. Sort of like my beloved curate, uh, rest in peace. Uh, <laughs> you wouldn't want to take 2020 and say, okay, well, I could just spread this over 10 years because that's like a once in a hopefully lifetime event, right? All of the bits that were spun out from that, is that still, is it still down after all of that? Yeah, yeah. It's a shame. They're working on it. We'll see. You see that a lot with the comp- some companies will have like one big uh, revenue contract that's coming due. And it's like a lot of question marks like, oh God, are they going to get this re-signed or not? And you'll oftentimes you'll, so it'll sell off big time relative to the current earnings that it's showing. Um, yeah. That, that happens a fair number of times. So I could see where like that wouldn't really look much probably different between TTM and five year or something. I don't mind the idea that Keith Herman says throw out the best and worst years per decade, that Windsorization. I don't mind something like that. It could work. It's not, it's not bad. But there's also the, I, I like throw the, out um, the best four and the worst four <laughs> every eight years. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like the Olymp- Olympic scoring system for that, right? Like you throw yeah. out the best, the highest and lowest scores, the Russian judge. I think the thing that's tough when you're looking back to the to the global financial crisis is it's all, I mean, economically it was slow, but it's all up and to the right. So yeah, it's not, a, you know, how do that's you like the other actually problem that we have. cycle? There's no recession in in the data going back. So you, you have to kind of go back a lot further to see. And I, I, that was one of the things that I used to do. How did this thing fare when it went through a recession? Like, does it completely shit the bed or does it sort of struggle through and it's okay? Because if it's if it's one of those ones that falls over, then any debt becomes, you know, lethal in that kind of scenario. Mm-hmm. But it's been so long now, like to get a good comp, you got to go back to 2008, starting to get, you know, like those businesses that reinvest a little bit, they're vastly different businesses now. Got to do a money supply uh, overlay to find out real recessions. <laughs> you dig now that we've si- solved the business. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We, we, it yeah, looks like we have. Permanent. I'll tell you what. Plateau. I got a question for anyone that, that knows about gas trading and or energy. I was with my gas trader buddy and he went all rain man on me and I couldn't <laughs> follow him. And he said that there was uh, right around the time that the Strategic Petroleum Reserve got released, the I believe it was the basis spread, which is I, I'm pretty sure it's how, how much you have to pay to, to move something from one location to another is basis. I'm pretty sure. Uh, he said that the New Orleans basis spread blew out wider than it did in COVID to the downside and New York blew out wider to the upside. And he's never seen anything like it in his entire career. And he thinks it was Valero and some of the big refiners just like selling futures to lock in their margin when this, because they like basically Biden hit them, they responded, then you never heard anything about it again. And he said, like, right around that time, this move happened. If anyone wants to go conspiratorial deep dive with me, holler at me. I'm happy to have you on the pod. I kind of want to like research this because I'm interested to see how that stuff works. That's a tangential thought on policy. But for in the short term, it seems like we've done a reasonably good job with taming inflation. That said, I know it's still crazy high. I, somebody just spit their coffee out. I get it. It was zero <laughs> percent at uh, at the last reading. Yeah. I saw I saw the sir, press conference. So, um, sir, that is <sighs> that was one of. Uh, I'll zero, tell you what zero. The t- the tweets out of the White House these past five years have been interesting. I think the tweets since the invention of Twitter have been interesting. Yeah, that's fair. That's I, I did, fair. did see something that said if we used 1981 methodology for inflation measurement, then the it would be showing today more like 12 to 13%. That was the Cam Harvey interview with yeah. Med Faber and um, uh, Rob Arnold. Yeah. <laughs> That's 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 a you know that's a fair amount more than eight and a half. Yeah, but dude, you can and just way more eat, than zero. No, nobody spit out their coffee hamburgers. Pads. No one needs steak. You can eat yeah. hamburgers. Brian right? said nobody spit out their coffee. Have you seen the price of coffee? <laughs> Not rich <laughs> enough to spit it out. That's yeah, fair. Point. And I think it had to Celsius. do with monkeying with the uh, rent equivalent housing that's right. component. Yeah, yeah. those so. those hedonic adjustments are. Just make it whatever you want. Yeah, it turns out there's a lot of leeway in that. Yeah. 
Hmm. Thanks for making it Adelaide, Australia. It's the end of the show. It's 11.30. Thanks, amigos. We did it. We'll be back next week. Cheers, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I was so weak. One time. One time.